I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Man, we have had a lot of fun this summer a lot of uh, great people coming in studio. We've had Dan Bass in. We've had some members of the Edmonton Eskimos. And, of course, we've kept you up to date on the biggest stories that affect your favorite teams. And uh, here was a really big one from a couple of weeks ago. Milan Lucic traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Calgary Flames for James Neal. And we had Lucic's agent Jerry Johansson on the show just shortly after the trade was made to tell you about Lucic's reaction to the deal. Well, I think he's pretty excited he's uh you know i think this sort of came up relatively at the last minute just in the last couple of days and uh so it's been a bit of a whirlwind but uh but i i think he's really looking forward to it he's got uh, some good contacts in in calgary and i think he's excited he did have a no move clause in his contract well i guess that goes with him to calgary but he had to tell the oilers that that you know he was he was willing to move can you give us a little bit of perspective of you know how that how that comes up, how it's approached, and, and why he ultimately decided to to waive it. Sure. Well, I think um, the first thing is I think Calgary and Edmonton had the, a rough idea of a, of a potential trade. So you know I think they had the, the concept agreed to, and then the next thing is to come to Milan uh, through us, obviously to to see if he'd consider it. And uh, in this case, you know Milan spent some time talking to Calgary. They walk him through. Uh, the situation there, the opportunity there, and, uh, the, you know, after about, I don't know, maybe a day and a half, Milan was, you know, really, really interested. So that allowed, uh, you know, Ken and Brad to proceed wrapping up the deal, which got done today, and uh, the rest is history. Was it, um, I mean, I realize you said Milan got to talk to Calgary and got excited, but is that is that difficult for an athlete with a no-move clause just to be approached, you know, in, in general about possibly waiving it? Because three years ago, we were talking about a, a pretty long-term commitment between the two sides. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, fine, it's a funny thing, right? It's like there's been a lot of, you know, uh, you know uh, speculation about Milan sort of all summer. But the truth is, you know, we really didn't engage in any of it. He was always prepared to come back to Edmonton because that's, that's what his job is. And, and really, it wasn't until the last minute where something really, you know, got some traction with the Calgary trade. So... You know, I think players are good at, you know, compartmentalizing. I think there's always rumors out there. Uh, we see it all the time. It's kind of fun to, to hear it sometimes because sometimes it's so off track. But, you know, I think players, you know, are good at compartmentalizing. And he's, uh, he's a pro. And uh, he was completely ready to come back to Edmonton and, and have a better year and help the team. Um, and then when this opportunity came up, uh, you know, our job is to drill down on it and see if it's the right fit. And in this case, I think it's, it was. Obviously, he was very interesting to follow, Jerry. He had 23 goals with the Oilers in his first year. He had nine goals in 36 games his second year, so he's on pace for right around 20 again. You know, and then the production obviously dropped off, and you know, he was pretty honest about it, that some of it was confidence and between the years. Um, you know, how, how was your experience with him 
through uh, through some of these struggles. It's it's not a great feeling for for an athlete to, uh, I'm sure, feel like he's not performing to the level that he was used to. Yeah, it's hard on guys. I mean, our guy, you know, Milan cares. He for sure cares. He came to Edmonton. He was excited. He had a great, you know, his first year, everything went great. And, you know, like a lot of things, I think the other thing that we all realize in this business is that, you know, um, everybody struggles and every team struggles. And you don't have to look further than the St. Louis Blues. I mean, that's a perfect analogy. You know, they're in last place at Christmas and then they win the Stanley Cup. And uh, you can apply that to a player too. So I don't think I've ever had a player that hasn't gone through really difficult times. But again, with pros, you know, their job what separates them from you know your normal hockey player, your normal athlete, is that they basically they're ready to play. So Milan's going to come back, and you know, I, I fully expect him to have a great year, and uh, no different than James Neal, who I don't know, but I fully expect James Neal to come to Edmonton and have a great year, and that'll make it a great trade for everybody. Was there anything? I'll, I'll kind of throw this one out. I, th- I think you'll know where I'm going. Was there anything? Uh, unique or, or unexpected or where you kind of had to take a step back at any moment, realizing that you were involved and in, I believe it's the third trade in history between <laughs> between two bitter rivals? Well, it's kind of interesting. I, I will say that it's odd you know, when you start thinking about trading a player from Edmonton to Calgary or vice versa. I mean, it's certainly, uh, especially living in Edmonton, you know, you, you can't help but, uh, you know, as much as I get paid to be neutral, you can't help but be an Oilers fan. And uh, so, yeah, it is a little weird. And I'm sure it's going to be weird when, you know, Milan's in Edmonton, which I don't think is till the new year, I believe. Just 27th but, yeah, of December, yep. There you go. So that should be a fun game to be at. It's going to be a little surreal for the first little while. But, you know, the guys are out there. They're playing hard. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting for a while. Then it'll become normal. All right, and a little more on the deal with Rob Brown when we get back. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Rob Brown and I join you before and after every Oilers game all season long on 630 Chet, and we took a lot of questions over the last couple of years about Milan Lucic. Can he turn his game around? Could the Oilers possibly trade him? Well, they did so on July 19th, going to Calgary for James Neal, and uh, Rob talked about the deal. Being an Oilers fan, uh, there was two names that were thrown out there over the last little while with Milano. One was James Neal and the other was Louis Erickson. This is by far the better of the two players. Uh, I was desperately hoping that it wasn't going to be a Louis Erickson trade. I think that would be a trade that the Oilers would lose tremendously on. Uh, I probably was a little surprised uh, that the the deal was made because a lot of things had to go right in in the trade. Obviously, you had to have a team that was willing to take on a big contract a team that had a contract that was trying to get rid of, but more importantly, you had to have a team that Milan Lucic was willing to go to. And I think, obviously, there was a huge sell by the Calgary Flames to Milan, saying, all right, here's what we can do for you. And Milan Lucic is looking, well, I can be a third or fourth liner at best in Edmonton, and that's what he'd been pigeonholed in. Or I can go to the Calgary Flames, and uh, maybe they say I'm going to be a, a net front presence on the power play. Maybe I'm going to play with Goudreau. Maybe I'm playing with so-and-so. So I think he was sold on the fact that uh, he was going to get an opportunity there. And at the end of the day, he doesn't have to worry about money anymore. But he does have to worry about pride and, and playing. Um, hockey players play. He wants to be more than a, uh, a fourth-line player. And in Calgary, they're, they're going to give him that opportunity. Now he's going to have to go out and prove that the trade was worth it. As an Oilers fan, uh, if James Neal comes and plays like James Neal has played in the past, if he becomes a 25-plus goal scorer, then the Oilers win this trade. If James Neal and Milan Lucic are even remotely close in goals and points next year, then the Calgary Flames 
certainly win this trade because Milan Lucic offers you other things that James Neal doesn't. All right, and that and that's been a big discussion point, and and that's another thing, Rob. When we would talk Lucic after games, we, we'd hear from a lot of frustrated fans because he never scored, virtually never scored. But there'd always be that contingent of Oilers fans who said you, you can't value toughness. Uh, you know, he doesn't let. Uh, other players push around the Oilers stars though I know the texters tonight have brought up the Dowdy elbow and uh, was it the Lindholm cross check in Anaheim I think right in front Mm -hmm. of the ref Um, so stuff still happened we know that there's less fighting in the NHL I I still believe physicality and aggression are are a huge part of the game so you know I I guess we'll find out as as the season goes on if if this does have an impact or if simply there are some other Oilers who are going to say you know what we'll be the protectors and it's not maybe as as prominent as it used to be in the league. Well, I I don't think you need the protectors that you did before. All you have to do is go back go into you know old TSN or old uh, ESPN highlights where they show the the games from years ago and watch the the physicality and the brutalness. In, in the games, and you needed to protect players. And, and players had to look after each other. You had one ref out there. Often that ref had eyesight issues. So you had to, to protect yourself, and you needed a protector or two or three on your team. Uh, the, the NHL does a fairly good job nowadays protecting players. So I don't think that's an issue. Um, but when you get into physical games, Milan Lucic did bring a physical element. He has changed the complexion of hockey games with, with, with his physical ability. Uh, the, if Milan Lucic made $2.5 million a year and played on the Oilers' third or fourth line, he would be a humongous fan favorite in Edmonton. It's the fact that he was making $6 million a year, signed long-term and was expected to be a first or second liner. That's why there, there was the, uh, the disappointment in his game. Um, James Neal, I've always liked James Neal as a hockey player. He does play with some edge. He does play with a little bit of nastiness. He's a, he, up until last year, had been a very consistent scorer and scored big goals. Uh, the Oilers were desperate for a player to play on their second line. Milan Lucic could not do that. He could not play with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and it, it was proven over two years. So James Neal has that opportunity. If he's come in here and the Oilers can solidify a second line and, and James Neal be, can become a you know, a possible first, but probably second-line power play guy. And he can come through with 24 to 27 goals and give the Oilers a legitimate second line that can, other teams can fear. Then the Oilers win this trade uh, in a huge way. But if he comes in here and scores and struggles again and scores, you know, 10 goals, 12 goals, or something along that line, and he finds himself moving down the lineup, well, then he doesn't have the other attributes that can make a difference in a hockey game. So anytime you make a trade, uh, you are uh, rolling the dice a little bit. You're hoping. You, you, you do your homework and think, okay, I feel that this guy can come in and give us what we need. And if he does that, then this was a, a huge, huge day for the Oilers because the Oilers uh, have not had a second line, and they've had, uh, I don't want to say wasted, either Leon or Ryan Nugent Hopkins when they played in that second line role, but they certainly handcuffed them. And I'm sure that one player that's pretty excited today would be Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He has a guy that has proven he can score uh, year after year after year, and he's going to get an opportunity to play with Ryan this year. Okay, just an update. I just got some information here from the Oilers. Uh, Two conditions have to be met for the Oilers to send that third-round pick in 2020 to Calgary. Condition number one, James Neal has to score at least 21 goals. 
Condition number two, Lucic has to score at least 10 fewer goals than Neil. So it's not just a 10-goal difference. Neil has to get to 21. So if it's 19-5 for Neil, they don't have to send the pick. If it's uh, 21-5, then they have to send the pick. But if Luch is within 10... So if Neil gets 25 and Luch gets 17, then they don't have to send the pick. So it's well, I got to be honest, Reed. I'm hoping we're sending the pick. Well, fair enough. I mean, yeah, if, if Neil's <laughs> yeah. in the if Neil's in the 20s and Luch is in single digits, then it was well worth it was well worth the third round pick. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, if the Oilers went into the lineup, if they did make this trade today. And the Oilers went into the season next year with more or less the same lineup they had last year, albeit with a, a, a different backup goaltender and a couple bottom six forwards. But if they would have went in without making this deal, and and I, I don't trust every uh, ranking out there, but you would have had to have said that they were a team that was going to be looking on the outside at playoff time because a, a lot of teams in the West have certainly improved in this offseason. There's been, been some big signings, been big movements. Uh, the Oilers are fighting against teams that have already had a better lineup than they did last year. The Oilers needed to do something to change the complexion uh, of their lineup, especially in their top six, and they've done that. So if James Neal is the James Neal that he was with Pittsburgh, if he was with Nashville, then the Oilers won this trade. But obviously you're not going to know until season then if this was the right move. But I give credit to, to Holland because... You and I sat a lot of nights, and we went through a lot of different scenarios that we could see how they could get rid of Milan Lucic, and there were very few that we thought were possible. Yeah, and you heard the interview with uh, with Jerry and Edmonton Calgary trade. I guess the Schmid, Brassois, um, Horak. Who was the other goalie in that? Might have been Mark Olivier Waugh. Went. To, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Went went to Calgary. I think I think that was the last one. Uh, Aaron Johnson for Steos, and I think that's all we've ever had in the history between uh, between the two teams. R- Rob, the I mean, look, we th- this is going to be Holland's. Well, maybe I shouldn't speak too soon. I would think this is going to be Holland's biggest move of the summer. We there wasn't a lot of room to do much in free agency. Josh Archibald can skate. Coming up from Arizona, he's kind of intriguing. Uh, Granlund, uh, we'll we'll see. He got him from Vancouver. Uh, the, the Swiss player, Gaetan Haas, I'm not sure, Rob. I, I really don't know. Joachim Niegaard is interesting to me from Sweden. He can definitely skate. But now that the – see, it's that's what's interesting, Rob. The, the league gets faster. But then if everybody gets faster, you still have to have another dimension to go on top of your speed to really make an impact. Well, well you do, and you can't have speed that can't think the game either. Uh, it, it's fine if a guy goes 1,000 miles an hour, but if he doesn't know where he's going, it doesn't really help you. Um, the Oilers needed a lot of improvement. This was a, this isn't an Oilers team that missed the playoffs by you know two or three points over the last couple of years. This is a team that was a long ways out, and the teams a lot of the teams that were ahead of them that made the playoffs. They improved in the off season, so now you're you're, you're trying to catch up to a team that was already better than you that's improved as well. So um, I, I know that I've read a bunch of articles in the last few days how there's disappointment in Hall and how he had to do this, how he had to do that. You can only do with what you're dealt. You can only deal with what you're dealt with. And, I mean, the Oilers actually have less money now salary cap-wise than they did before this trade. So they got rid of the big contract, but they're, they're still in a, in a cap hole. Uh, I, I think that it, it's unfortunate, but Kenny Holland ha- needs time to make this team better. 
and fans don't want to hear that, especially with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Each year they get a year older, but this was a mess. This wasn't this wasn't a team that just barely missed out on the playoffs. This team was a mess, and they were a mess on the ice, and they were a mess salary cap wise. So it's not like uh, no GM. I don't care which GM you go out there didn't have a magic wand that was going to come up and say, "All right, smash!" I just wave my wand. All of a sudden, we are a great hockey club. Uh, he's doing it uh, patiently. He's trying to fix in different areas as much as he can, but it's not going to be all better with one trade or one signing. He's going to slowly make it better, and hopefully there are jumps this year. But this is, again, remember, this is a team that's best players. Best players on their team last year all had career years, and this is a team that missed the playoffs by, what, 15, 20 points? So there was a lot of improvement needed. Yeah, I think 11 out at the end of the year. But you and I talked that once they were down seven in March, they it was it was hard for them to claw back in. And um, here's Rob. I'm going to throw this one at you before before I let you go because I know you're you got to get up early and shoot another 68 tomorrow morning. <laughs> but uh, but I I wonder. And, and to me, and, and obviously, like I said, it's July 19th, so we can have fun with best case scenarios. I wonder if this means you can actually have a second power play unit if Neil is on it with one of the other big three. Because let's face it, the second unit was often pieced together last year, rarely scored, and actually was rarely even on the ice. I wonder if this might give the Oilers some kind of a, a presence on a, on a second power play unit. Uh, it, it can. I mean, you look at their second unit last year, a lot of times it was, it was three or four guys that were called up from the minors that were thrown out on the ice. And more or less, they were just filling time because the the stars got tired. You do need a, a second unit. Now, obviously, it's never going to be as good as your first unit, but you do need one because when the first unit struggles, you've got to be able to put someone else there I- instead. Uh, when your first unit uh, just played out a minute and a half shift and they drew the penalty, they can't have to stay on the ice. Um, I would think that if you're going to build a second one, you'll build it through Ryan Nugent Hopkins. There's just too much success with Leon and Connor playing together. And if Nugent Hopkins is playing with Neil, which we expect, well, then it makes sense that they would play together on the second power play unit and you find a net front presence to put in front. And whether that's a Cassian or, or whoever you might think that could be that player. So, yes, the Oilers need a second unit. They, they certainly do. And I think by adding Neil, who is a power play guy and has had success on the power play before, you've given yourself a chance to build one. All right, that is Rob Brown, your Inside the Game analyst for Oilers broadcast here on 630 Chad. When we get back, you'll hear from a man who grew up in Edmonton and is now the play-by-play voice for the San Jose Sharks. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. One of the great things about working in this industry is you get to meet so many interesting and just genuinely nice human beings. And this next guy fits the bill as we bring you the best of inside sports on 630 Ched. His name is Randy Hahn. He's currently the play-by-play voice on television for the San Jose Sharks, and he grew up in Edmonton. Well, I went to Forest Heights Elementary School, and then I went to Hardesty Junior High. And if I would have gone to high school in Edmonton, but we moved to Whitehorse before that happened. I would have gone to McNally, 
So uh, if you can, our, our neighborhood was Forest Heights, and that was our local uh, hockey rink that I learned to skate on, the, the Forest Heights community rink. And uh, we lived on uh, 77th Street and 102nd Avenue. So I, I don't know if that's still called Forest Heights, but we, were, uh, we lived right on the ravine overlooking the cemetery. <laughs> People were dying to get into the neighborhood, if you know what I mean. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're, I, I'm pretty sure that that's still the neighborhood. And obviously those, those school names are going to be very familiar to, uh, to a lot of people. So you're, you're growing up in Edmonton. So I'm trying to think. Um, probably a pretty good era for Oil Kings hockey, the first incarnation. And I guess into the 70s, the Eskimos were clearly uh, starting to, to ramp up and, and win a few championships leading to the five in a row in late 70s, early 80s. Absolutely. Uh, the Oil Kings were the kings of hockey in Edmonton at that time because this was pre-Oilers, even in pre-WHA days. So uh, I, my, my opportunity to go to the games came as a result of uh, coupons that kids would get. And I think we could go to Oil King games for 50 cents. And uh, just, you know, Phil Russell and uh, Randy Rhoda, and that was kind of the, the era of players that were on the Oil Kings when I was a kid. And then the Eskimos were, were dynamic back in those days and uh, would faithfully listen to the, uh, the games on the radio on another station at that time. <laughs> uh, and I think Brian, Brian Hall, who's still on the air in Edmonton somewhere, no doubt, was doing the games back then. And, and my favorite player, as it turned out, was Dave Cutler, the place kicker for the Eskimos, uh, who kind of became my favorite because one day he showed up at my school at Hardesty Junior High as our substitute teacher because at, at that time, and, and, and I would assume maybe it's still that way for some of the players in the CFL, but they didn't make enough money to just play football. They had to have a job as well, and Cutler was a teacher. So I showed up for school, and sure enough, Dave Cutler was our substitute teacher one day, and um, it was jaw-dropping to have somebody who I considered to be such an icon for Eskimo football and to kick those those long game-winning field goals from 50-plus yards to actually be in the classroom. And, and I've since had a chance to get to know Dave a little bit better, and he actually uh, lives here on Vancouver Island now, so we've communicated over the years. But uh, that's always a fond memory going back to those days uh, when I was still in junior high school. And the, the straight-on kicker, that's actually hard to explain to young people nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is yeah. it was definitely they, they would some of the guys would tie their the tie the toe of the boot and and that would give them uh an advantage depending on the individual player but yeah it was a different era but it was just so exciting and not that many of the games were televised back then and i remember on saturday nights and i would have been i don't know uh nine or ten years old and uh, my father was a long-haul trucker, so he was a gone a lot. And My mother and I would sit and play. She would teach me how to play cards, and we'd have the Eskimo game on. And those memories of the last-second victories or last-second defeats, those are still some of my favorite memories listening to the games on the radio uh, because it was the old theater of the mind. You had to imagine what was going on, and it sounded so incredible at Clark Stadium you know, I always wanted to go to Clark Stadium, and what would that be like? And uh, and to listen to those games, it, it it seemed like a magical time as a as a kid to listen to those football games. And then, of course, I would be a sportscaster later on in my career in Edmonton, and 
go to Commonwealth Stadium after they closed Clark down on a regular basis, and it just became, uh, you know, part of my job to go there and cover the team later on. But, boy, in those early days when I could only listen on the radio, it seemed like something so big and so uh, so special. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Brian Hall because he was calling the games. It was a different station at, at, at that time. Randy, Brian's working for us. Like, he's doing the morning sports. Like, he's here <laughs> at 5 a.m. I'm not going to give away his age, but it's no secret. The first number is an 8. Like, the guy's still going strong. He's unbelievable. It's un- it is unbelievable. I-, I-, I can tell you right now, I will not be doing the Sharks when I have a number <laughs> eight in front of my uh, my age. I, I-, I love it, but um, I-, I think I-, I see something else down the line called retirement and maybe being right in this uh, room looking down on the ocean where I'm speaking to you from right now at that age. But, uh, Brian, just, just a remarkable... Uh, individual and talk about uh, an icon not only in Edmonton but in in all of Canadian sports broadcasting unbelievable Randy Hahn joining us tonight on Inside Sports telling you about uh, growing up in Edmonton and then so you moved north and was it in was it in Whitehorse you first found yourself uh, with a microphone in your face or, or is that where it all started yeah, that's where it all started and I've, I've often wondered if we hadn't have moved there as a family to pursue my father's uh, future which uh, ended up becoming a, he ended up becoming a, a builder of custom homes up there would i have even ever had the opportunity um, i had my first job getting paid to be on the radio when i was 16 years old while i was still going to high school and the opportunity in a town like whitehorse with 18,000 people was there at that age as a kid and that probably wouldn't have happened in edmonton so my path could have been much much different but uh, yeah, I had the opportunity to be on the radio there at a very young age, um, just through a, a set of circumstances. In fact, the, the first person I ever interviewed uh, ended up being undoubtedly one of, if not the most famous people I've ever interviewed in my entire career. And it just so happened that it was Colonel Harlan Saunders from Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. Oh my! And that's who I interviewed on a radio station in Whitehorse uh, way back in probably 1972-ish. And, uh, you know, I've, I've since gone on to interview some pretty famous people like Michael Jordan and, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali and others. But uh, the Colonel is still uh, a <laughs> pretty, pretty famous logo globally. So it was kind of funny. That was the first guy I ever got to interview. Well, you know what? That's funny, Randy, because sometimes I'll get asked that. People will say, well, who's the biggest name you've interviewed? And I've, I've got to talk to Gretzky and Messier, and obviously McDavid is here now. But when you're in sports – you kind of get used to talking to sports people. But I'm not going to give you the whole story here because it'll take a few minutes, but randomly I got to have Gene Simmons from Kiss on my show a couple of years ago. So when people say, who's the one of the most famous people you interviewed, I always say, well, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Like, he's probably known more widely around the world than a lot of NHL players. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just had that opportunity at a very young age. And I wasn't necessarily doing sports at the beginning. I was I was a DJ for the CBC station up in Whitehorse, which was uh, not the classic DJ kind of thing. It was it was you know more getting us in and out of network programming and and doing a bit of actual announcing. And I also worked for a, a private station up there. And and then one day the Montreal Canadiens had won the Stanley Cup in the seventies that uh, season, and they came up to Whitehorse to play in a in a charity softball tournament. And Bill Good Jr. Uh, who is still uh, in Vancouver now, 
came along with them to cover their visit uh, to Whitehorse for Hockey Night in Canada, and they had a crew along with him. And we did a fishing trip. They, they did. They flew them into a lake, the Montreal Canadiens players. Larry Robinson was there and uh, Bunny LaRocque and Doug Jarvis and Doug Riseborough. And it was that era of the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, my friend's father owned the fly-in uh, fishing company, and he had an extra seat. So I got to go on that trip and cover it for our local CBC radio station, met Bill Good Jr., and then subsequently went on to go to the University of British Columbia, and Bill helped facilitate me getting a job at a radio station in Vancouver. Uh, and then my career kind of took a different direction, and it was much more sports-oriented and eventually much more hockey-oriented. But uh, Bill Good Jr., and then subsequently J. Paul McConnell, uh, a, quite a prominent broadcaster in Vancouver uh, for a long period of time with the CBC and others, uh, were, were very helpful in uh, moving my career along. Okay, well, look, and the reason, great stories. Let's get to, the, to uh, the original idea here. And so you're an Edmontonian, a Canadian, and you've wound up working in the United States. How many years now working in the U.S.? And was it a, was it a difficult transition for you to be a Canadian in the States, either from a lifestyle or broadcasting perspective? What's that been like? Well, I left CFRN in Edmonton in the fall of 1982. I was offered the play-by-play job of the San Diego Soccers. Uh, at that time, they had an indoor and an outdoor team, and they would go on to become a, an indoor soccer uh, powerhouse. I was with them for 10 years, and, and I have nine championship rings, so they dominated that league. But when I left Edmonton in, in 82, I'd been doing the Edmonton Drillers, owned by uh, Peter Pocklington at that time, and I uh, got this offer to go to San Diego, and Peter helped me get my immigration paperwork, in fact, right to San Diego. He flew it down there for me uh, on his jet because he happened to be going there and, and presented my documentation and a letter of recommendation, which I'm forever grateful for, even though some people in Edmonton might not be as grateful to Peter Bucklington after the fact, but uh, he was terrific to me. And I moved there in 82 to do the soccer play-by-play and to be a sportscaster, and, and the transition was fairly good because I, I'd done some traveling, doing the drillers so i knew san diego and i knew i knew um the, the soccer league so that part was easy but the two uh two biggest mistakes uh, i made when i first got to san diego was uh well the one mistake that that comes to mind is there's a town near los angeles that has a, a famous high school football team and it's 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 spelled la and then the second word is c-a-n-a-d-a and there's a little one of those funny squiggly lines over one of the A's. Well, it's pronounced La Canada. It's a Spanish word, and that's the name of the high school. Uh, and I went on the air and said La Canada. <laughs> and uh, the phones lit up, and it's like, who are you? <laughs> oh, no. It's La Canada, you idiot. It's not La Canada. And I later had, had trouble with another Spanish uh, name sounding uh, city in that area. And this is all within my first month. Uh, it's a it's a town called Carpinteria, and I called it Carpinteria, which sounded like a carpet store. So uh, those were the kind of things that kind of got in the way at the beginning. But I, I seem to be able to drop that little bit of a Canadian accent that we all seem to have as Canadians when we go abroad. And uh, if if someone has a sharp ear, they'll they'll pick up on it and they'll say, "Are you from Canada?" And I had a little bit of that, but not it wasn't prominent. 
and that probably helped me transition into doing broadcasting in uh, in the U.S. So that was in '82, and then uh, I moved on eventually into the NHL, and I've been with the Sharks. Just finished up my uh, 28th year with them doing their television play-by-play. So um, it's it's been a good run so far, and uh, very enjoyable. And and the great thing about what I do now is I still get to go to Canada for work, of course, uh, covering the uh, the National Hockey League. Yeah, well, you're guaranteed at least two trips a year to Edmonton, so you get the constant uh you've you've you haven't never you've never been away for too long but it must still feel like you see a little bit of growth and change every time you come back oh absolutely and and, you know the city has changed so much from when i was growing up there and uh you know especially now with the the uh the new arena and the ice district and everything that's going on down there i mean i'm i'm old enough that when i was growing up you would go to downtown Edmonton because that's that's where all the action was. And, you know, the restaurants and the going out at night and the fun things to do, even as a kid, you'd go down to the Edmonton Public Library, and that was a big deal. And, um, and then everything shifted to the mall, and I, I kind of left right around that time. And now, as it's, as it's turned out, the shift is coming back, and everybody's coming back to downtown Edmonton uh, with the arena and the ice district and everything else that's going to be developed down there. So it's been fun to see those transitions. Randy, it's been fun to have you on the show. Uh, I always enjoy talking hockey with you, but uh, this this was really a lot of fun, getting some memories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply from you growing up here in your career as well. Thank you so much for your time today, and enjoy the summer. Well, my pleasure, Reed, and look forward to seeing you in the fall. That is Randy Hahn. Man, that was a great interview. Good to hear that again for sure. All right, Beard and Bond when we get back. Well, this was a fun one. We had them in studio last week. They joined us for over an hour, two members of the Edmonton Eskimos offensive line, David Beard and Travis Bond. And uh, each guy told his story about getting into football. I would have been uh, grade seven, and it was Bulldogs and Olds. Um, I showed up for spring camp, and then I moved shortly after that. But, yeah, I, I learned how to put pads in my pants and um, got out there, played a little line, kind of bounced around and um, said that I played a little football, and then I moved. And Who got you involved? Um, it was actually... Uh, um, one of it was my grade five teachers, Mrs. Degg and Mrs. Vockeroth. There, uh, Mrs. Degg's husband was doing a little bit of coaching, and she said, "Hey, I know you're going to be going to the junior senior high next year, so why don't you get involved with the Bulldogs football team and check it out?" And so, I remember standing in the hall and be like, "Okay, maybe I'll check it out." No, so. well, why would they? Were you a big kid? Were you an athletic kid? Yeah, I was kid? a big kid. Okay. Yeah, I must have been like 160 pounds in grade seven. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and was it old line right away? Uh, no, I was actually playing a little D-line, um, but um, no, I was a chunky little kid, and they obviously said, hey, we need a few of those hoggies in the field, so might as well <laughs> that's, that's, bring them out. <laughs> glad you're saying that, and, uh, and not me. Uh, and then, uh, so which, which high school were you again? Uh, high school was Beth Facey. Was, was Beth Facey, and how yeah. good was the team when you were there? Uh, yeah, we did pretty well. Uh, didn't win a provincial championship, um, but we got to the provincial finals uh, two out of the three years that I was there, um, and... Uh, don't yeah. tell me you lost to Raymond. 
Yeah, come on. Like, that was exactly the era we were in. Connor Ralph, Jimmy Ralph. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a blast. Storm, Bartsoff. So that was, uh, that, was, that was quite the club they had down there, too. So. And what sort of U sports options did, did you have? Like, were you leaning U of A all the way, or what were you thinking? Yeah, well, it was actually a decision between basketball and football. I, I was, like I said, it was, I was a basketball nut. I, uh, I came out of Bond high school. Bond is shocked. <laughs> what are you so shocked about? Come on, man. No, he can play. He can play. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> no, I was a basketball nut, actually. I was, I was a skinny kid. I, in my grade 12 year, I was actually a receiver. Oh, another shock look. Here we go. <coughs> uh, but, uh, no, and I, I ended up making a decision between uh, basketball and football scholarships. And uh, I ended up taking football with U of A. Um, I had one other option with British Columbia, but um, it was uh, it was I'd just taken some advice from coaches. Said, "Well, you're not going to the NBA, so uh, maybe take a shot with football." So I did, and it paid off. So, <laughs> no, well, you guys do have an offensive lineman who had a look in the NBA. Matt yeah, Donald, that's right. right. So yeah, little Celtics. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Travis Bond is here as well. Uh, as we were talking about, you know, born in North uh, North Carolina. What was? Do you remember the very very first step on your football journey? You must have oh, been a much, yeah. a much smaller human being. Oh yeah, I was about <laughs> six three two seventy. Never forget it. And all of my friends played football. All of them. I didn't even want to play at first, but they talked me into it. So when I finally went, I didn't finally go, but when I went, I loved it. You didn't go until high school? No, I went in middle school. You went in middle school? Middle school. So you were 6'3", 275 in middle school. In middle school. So in Canada and in Alberta, that's like grade 7, 8. Yeah, 7 grade. And so, yeah, I started out as a receiver. I thought I was big, 160. Wow. <laughs> everyone would always look at me when I got off the bus and like, oh, he's soft. But until, like, the game started being played, it was a little different because I played defense. Okay. And I played receiver and running back, quarterback. I played everything. And got to high school, moved the offensive line, never looked back. It was the most fun thing I ever could have did because growing up I was too physical. Okay. And I was I used to get in trouble by my mom for being too physical, hurting the other little kids. And so when I got the old line I could be myself. And it worked out. You know, got a couple of offers out of high school, literally from like everybody. And so I chose North Carolina, played four years there, led up and got drafted in twenty thirteen, played for three teams, three years. And I found myself in Winnipeg in 2016. So okay, was, so why why did you decide to take that that step? That must couldn't have been easy. No, uh, well I played arena football with LA Kiss with Gene Simmons and those guys, and it, it was fun. <laughs> played three games and uh, got a phone call. My agent was like, "Yeah, uh, Winnipeg wants you to come up." And I was like, "Winnipeg." Like, who is that? <laughs> and so uh, I had no idea, but I had a friend from Minnesota, and she told me that her family was from Winnipeg. She says, just like Minnesota. So when I finally go there, I went there in, like, April. Super cold. And I'm living in L.A., and I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. It's too cold. I'm leaving from <laughs> California to... But then I decided to go. Was that your first time in Canada? It was. It was. What did you know about the CFL? Not a thing. Only thing I knew What's was that CFL? Warren Moon played. That was the only thing I ever right? knew. Played here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that was it. I didn't know nothing about the yard off the ball, how big the field was. I just got introduced the day I stepped on the field. 
that was it. So did you think, oh, this is nuts or this isn't for me? Did that ever enter your mind or did you kind of fall in love quick? Well, I kind of fell in love quick because being in arena football is a little different from being in like the NFL and the CFL. It's like going from D1 to a junior college. That's very tough. You know, it's, it's not a lot of money put into arena football, but I mean, I enjoyed it. But once I got to the CFL, it made me love football again. And it gave me a chance to really showcase my talents because I didn't really play a lot in the NFL. So when I came to the CFL and I started to flourish, getting more knowledge about the game of football. And so I, I loved it again. And now I'm just having fun with it, playing as much as I can and hopefully winning all the games that we possibly can and get to this great cup this year. All right, that wraps it up for tonight. The next Eskimos broadcast, of course, is Friday when they host Ottawa. 6 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will be at 8, a live edition of Inside Sports tomorrow. Inside Sports produced by Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great night. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.